Well, hello, friends. It is middle of the week. We are Between Two Sundays, and this is Between Two Sundays, Season 2, Episode 2, the <laughs> Richie Benno episode. It's number two, number two. And um, everyone who's listening anywhere else in the world who has no idea about cricket. Yeah. Because there could be some UK listeners who know who Richie Benno was. Yes, that's true. Um, that's true. It's true. But anyone in the US is going, Richie what? Uh, <laughs> look it up. And cheap for 22. But to said, episode two in season two, which is year A, and we're in Advent. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I think I've worked it all out. You've got, it, Ber- you've got it down. Mark Beresford is here. Mark G is here. And we are Between Two Sundays where we're going to talk about, in just a second, the readings and how we've lived out of what grabbed us from the readings from last Sunday. And we're going to be mm. talking about how we're going, how we're thinking into and moving into the readings for this coming Sunday. As always, uh, the links to the readings we're talking about and to other things about what we're about are down below. And we invite you to participate and interact and be a part of our little community in those places. Um, And I'm pleased to be able to say that in the next few weeks, some of those things will be amplified a little bit and become a little bit more accessible as some changes for me mean I have more time to dedicate to that. So um, that'll make it hopefully a little bit easier for people to interact with us and us with you. So um, we appreciate those people who leave comments and send us notes and messages and things. Um, and talk to us after church, as in the case of people <laughs> yes. who are listening who go to Mosaic yes, just right. in Canberra. Hello, Mosaic <laughs> listeners. Um, why would they listen to you twice in a week, mate? That's pretty... Oh, uh, well, I'm, I'm talking about two different set of passages for a start. Oh, okay. Yeah, good point. <laughs> good point. Two different conversations. <laughs> All righty. So last week was the first Sunday in Advent, and our readings... Uh, were from Isaiah 2, Psalm 122, Romans 13, and Matthew 24. You'll find the links in last week's episode. Um, I got totally immersed, pun intended, in mm-hmm. the Romans 13, 4 statement of put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which, as I mentioned last week in the show, that put on or clothe yourself, as some people translate it, the Greek there literally means to sink into a garment. So it's like you're putting on this big coat and you let yourself completely be smothered by it. And kind of unrelated, but kind of not, I have been meditating on the relationship between that and what it means to be baptised, baptizo, to be immersed in Christ. And I'm not talking about the act of water baptism. I'm talking Mm. about statements like be baptised in the spirit, be baptised into Christ. Um, which literally means to be immersed into Christ, to be immersed into the spirit, to put on or clothe yourself, to sink into um, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've been really thinking about what that means and how that looks like to be lived out every single day. Mm. That That's pretty much it. Um, and And just finding myself in some really interesting thought conversations with myself and contemplate, contemplating what all that kind of looks like. So that's what's really stuck for me. And particularly in the Advent season, that season of waiting where we feel like we're in a no man's land, um, to know that uh, we can use that time to sink deeper and to mm. be immersed deeper. And I think 
maybe uh, maybe this should have been said last week, but something else that sort of came up as I was thinking about these things is to really affirm these readings are a part of the Advent season, that season of waiting which comes before Christmas. And I think it's really important not just to think about first comings and second comings and whatever else that you want to think about and what that means, but what it means to live in liminal space. And I'm going to touch on a little bit in relation to this week's readings, and I guess that's when I started to read this week's readings for the show today, this was still going on for me, obviously, that being sinking into and what that means in this liminal waiting period. So uh, that's what I've been sitting in, again, pun intended, I suppose, <laughs> for, <laughs> for a week. That's that's my first Sunday of Advent. Very good. Very good. So I've been um, I've been reading a couple of things this week. So the first is this little book here. Um, Which we can't sure see. There you go. There you know, go. That's a great book. I teach yeah, you yeah. that book. I'll tell you how I got it. I got a hold of it because um, Kirsten was listening to the podcast and came to my church. And then she listened to another episode um, and came to my church a second time with this book. And she said, Mark, um, Mark Gladman mentioned this book in the podcast I listened to and you said you hadn't read it. So here it is. <laughs> when? But that's how I got a hold of it. What a great um, gift. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It, it was, it's a loan. Um, oh. But I'm I'm really, really grateful for it and I've been enjoying it a lot over the last couple of days especially. Good. Um, but I got stuck on the Isaiah 2, 1 to 5 reading and... Um, and asking myself, in light of what Enz is saying about the whole direction of Scripture, and that there are these big perspectives that we need to we need to get hold of, um, Richard Raw says um, very much the same thing in his book on Scripture, as well. Um, but I got stuck on thinking, what does it look like if what does it do to our theology and practice if the big picture is that ultimately all the nations will stream to and be welcome into the city of God, Jerusalem. Mm. What if what if that's the big perspective? How does that change the way I go about relating to people? The way I the, the vision I have, or or especially for this Advent season, the hope I have of what God is doing in the person of Jesus and, of course, in my own life and, in my case, my own ministry, although we all have ministries, of course, or missions. Um, what, if, um, what if this is one of those big streams that we should be holding on to um, as we look through the Bible, this idea that God is calling all um, and uh, you know, this is kind of uh, this is kind of a perspective I, I I can live with. I can live with this much more easily than God is calling some and not calling others. Um, but here is this extraordinary picture, and it takes me, of course, um, straight to the end of Revelation. Um, you know, where the, the the pearly gates have no gates really; they're just entrances, um, and the whole world is called. Um, and all the nations will gather. I think this is 
a fantastic vision. And one of those things, maybe we should keep this more in the forefront of our thinking about God rather than in the background or, or safely off into the future so that it doesn't affect the way we behave now. I've always thought that if Genesis is our book of beginnings, the very first move of that God in terms of relating with people outside of the garden is when this God calls Abraham. And that call of Abraham is come away from your father's household, in other words, your father's way of doing things. Yeah. And I'm going to show you a new way and a new way of relating and a new way of living, and you're going to go and live it. And Genesis 12, 3, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. The very start of the story is exactly what you're saying. And if we skip that, I think we miss the lens through which to read the whole arc of Scripture, which is the story of this God interacting with a small group of people at first in order Mm. for that small group of people to demonstrate what it looks like to interact with this God who ultimately they don't do a great job of it, um, but that's not a dig at any particular no, religion no. group in particular. I yep. think we all do a pretty bad job of it mm. because mm. we can't bring ourselves to comprehend the fact that this God simply wants relationship. And if you look at what happens previous Genesis 12, you see that being played out. You see people trying to please this God, bring offerings to this God, um, build towers to this God, um, do all this other stuff. And even when this God says, hey, I just want to have this relationship with you, people keep going, well, we need to throw this at you and that at you. And, you know, the rabbis talk a lot about those, um, uh, you know, the sacrifices and stuff. They were more about helping people interact with God because this God kind of knew that if I say, no, no, it's just you and me, the people would go on, nah, that can't work. You're God. (laughs) Um, And that's why they're there. And, of course, they slowly get subsumed and phased out. And then in the end, the prophets start saying, don't want your sacrifices, never wanted them in the first place. What I want is justice. I want relationship. I want interaction. I want inclusion. That's what I want, rivers of justice and mercy. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the lens. And if you read the arc of the Hebrew Scriptures and the Christian Testament through those lens, it can change everything. And I find myself, if I'm butting heads with people, I'm butting heads with people because they're reading the scripture through a different lens. That's all. That that really is all. And most people who hear me talk like this, and maybe even some people listening now, would be going, yeah, I don't know. There's that thing again, that thing of, oh, can we really just accept that God wants everyone just to be included? Yep. Um, hmm. but what about this and that and the other and hell and justice and everything else? Oh, there is no heaven, hell, and justice is accepting everybody no matter what. Grace is accepting everybody no matter what. That's mercy. That's what that looks like. Um, hmm. And so, yeah, it can change everything. And and like, and even in this, like going back to the theme of Advent and why this would be part of Advent, I, I hear you saying that this is an important part of understanding in this in this liminal space of accepting that we're all sitting in liminal space and then God comes for all the people sitting in liminal space, not just a select few. Mm -hmm. Um, That was cool. I like that, man. That's awesome. Very good. Yeah, I'm glad you're enjoying the book. Shout out Pete Enns. Yeah, 
enjoying it, enjoying it a lot. Actually, love Pete's work. Yeah. It's totally changed my Year Eleven classes. The last couple of years, I've used it. It's a great, very, great, very ex, great, very work. accessible way of writing. It is. Um, just hold mm. it up again if you've got it handy. Um, we don't get paid for this. This is how the Bible actually works, in which I explain how an ancient, ambiguous, diverse book leads us to wisdom rather than answers, and why that's great news by Dr. Peter Enns. Um, and if you don't listen to the Bible for nor Normal People podcast with Pete Enns and Jared Bias, you should, particularly the Pete Ruins episodes. They're my favourites. <laughs> Pete Ruins. Um, well, I really am only just beginning my journey with Peter Enns. Compared oh, yeah. to There's a whole lot of stuff there you said I didn't even know existed. You're going to dig it. Mm. It is the <laughs> second Sunday of Advent. Uh, you can send us the checks, Pete and Jared. All good. The second Sunday yeah, of Advent <laughs> is coming up. I think they're going to pay us as much as the Vanderbilt Library. Um, second Sunday of Advent mm. this Sunday, and the readings this Sunday are from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10, Psalm 72, verses 1 to 7, and verses 18 and 19, Romans 15, verses 4 to 13, and Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. All those readings are in the comment or the description if you're on YouTube, in the show notes, if you're listening to us on a podcast, uh, whichever way you're doing that there. And may I add, if you're a brand new listener, that um, just, to, just keep in mind, we're not necessarily doing technical exegesis or hermeneutics when we do this what mark and i are doing here we both come from a theology background we both have uh extensive study both formal and informal in 30 odd years of ministry um that's separately not between us um but we're not claiming to be experts but what i'm saying is, is we do have those technical backgrounds but what we're doing here is simply reflecting um for me being a, a benedictine it's this um lectio divina this um, sacred reading, this contemplating the scriptures and seeing what spirit speaks to us. And so for both of us, it's a bit of a hodgepodge of things we know, things we might have looked up, and that contemplative reflection on the passages in the light of the season that we're in. So please, if, if you're listening to us and going, hey, that's not technically correct, that's not necessarily what we're looking for anyway. Although, as we say, and you, we'll give you more details at the end of the episode, for you to interact with us, we're quite happy for you to do that and to jump on and to send us notes in your own reflections as you've read this. We understand that these passages can be looked at in many different ways as we turn the gem and look at it from different angles and see the light shining through it in different ways. And shout out to Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, whose book um, about uh, that passage in Joshua, where he looked at it six different ways, uh, is a very, very good book to read uh, on how to do that. Mm. So uh, where do you want to start, man? I'm, I haven't given it any thought at all as to where well, to start. When, when have we ever <laughs> recorded an episode and given it thought? Um, let's just start at the top then and let's move through um, through the Hebrew Scriptures and then back into mm. um, yeah into the, the, the Gospel and the, the Epistle. Uh, so mm. Isaiah 11, Chapters 1 through 10, I loved this passage, but I love this passage um, because I accidentally, in looking something up about it, discovered that um, uh, Rabbi Rashi, um, Rabbi Shlomo um, Yitzhaki, and, I've, and I know I've said that wrong, who was um, an 11th century um, French rabbi, 
uh, talks about Isaiah 11 as needing to be read in the reflect in the light rather of Isaiah 10. Um, and I guess Isaiah 10 is understanding that um, the leaders of the nations are going to be judged and they're going to be judged for their unjust statutes. They're going to be judged because um, they make harmful decisions. They're going to be judged because they deprive the needy of justice. They're going to be judged because they rob, rob the poor and they're going to be judged because they um, basically ripping money out of widows and plundering orphans. Um, and so that's the light in which we come then into Isaiah 11 where there is this, this promise that um, a leader is going to come out of the stump of Jesse, which, um, you know, a lot of Jews researchers believe would have perhaps thought might have applied to King Hezekiah uh, of Judah. Um, but it's important to note that what we see here is, a, is an outline of absolute hope where God is speaking through Isaiah and is saying that there's a future in store, which interestingly is not a tit for tat, which is what you would kind of expect. All the you know, these other leaders of other nations have treated us poorly and badly and all this other stuff. Tit for tat, let's get them back. And instead, yeah. this God says it's not going to be a tit for tat. This is mm. going to be a you're going to overcome because I'm going to lift you up. Um, you don't have to retaliate. You can just simply allow me to bring you up. And it's going to happen in, you know, it's not going to happen in our time. We would, I'm sure if we were here and in this space, we would love things to be fixed instantaneously and everything put back to its right way. And even a little bit of human justice in the sense of, hey, see, got you back, buddy. Um, you know, throwing in the last word type vibe. But oh, instead, it, it doesn't happen that way. Um, this is about hope. This is about um, a better world and a better future and conquering because we have grown into a better world and a better future. And I think that grown into is important when we think about Advent as a season of waiting, that this was going to take time. And whether um king hezekiah was the outcome of this or whether jesus was the outcome of this or whether there's someone still coming that is the outcome of this depending on what you believe and and perhaps you know what religion you, you you're thinking through and looking through the point is is that everything's going to take time but it's not going to be our time and we're not going to conquer because we beat someone back we're going to conquer because we will be elevated not elevate ourselves but will be lifted up and it will be a mm. position to which we then need to bring others up with us, even those who oppressed us in the first place. And so there's in this little passage a whole bucket load of stuff that we need to reflect on in this time of waiting, particularly if we understand the backdrop. Um, and that mm. literally changed the way I saw the passage there. Yeah, very nice. I like that little reflection. I found myself um, stunned by this description of the spirit of the Lord early in this. Mm. Um, the spirit of the Lord that will rest on him, and I understand how him is perhaps a little bit, that's a discussion worth having. Um, 
But this spirit is wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge. These are very grounded, experiential, um, almost uh, almost thinking, contemplating kind of descriptions. There, this is one who is interacting with us. Um, uh, Ends would actually argue that this is this is where everything is leading. Um, the, the where the Bible is leading, it's to mm. wisdom. Um, and this uh, this one will judge, not out of spite, but in wisdom. Um, and of course, the big descriptor here is righteousness um, or justice. Um, uh, and he will judge for the meek of the earth. Um, this is this is I mean, judgment is such a negative word, um, at least in our sort of context. And yet here is a good news story, as you say, of hope um, that one who can judge fairly accurately out of justice um, is actually coming. And, and we're told this spirit lives in us. Mm. Um, this spirit of the Lord lives in us. Um, not necessarily here, but at least in other places. The other thing I love about this, um, uh, I, love, I love the direction of the vision putting all things right. And to me, it has very strong echoes of Genesis. Um, this little phrase, a little child shall lead them. Um, we, we are given, we, we are part of creation. Um, so often we see the people as, you know, entirely the problem, entirely beyond it. Um, if only we could get rid of us, then all of creation would sort of thrive. But here is a vision of creation where it's put back together. Um, and so, uh, you know, all these bizarre things are happening, um, like the wolf living with the lamb and the leopard lying down next to the kid and the calf and lion and fatling together. Um, and a little child shall lead them has all these echoes of the the um, the governance given to Adam and Eve in the early garden story. Um, here is here is an invitation for us to lead creation. No one's saying we've done it well. Um, but here, where the picture is, we've put it all back together. Actually, we're still, we still have this sense of responsibility and call um, of leadership. Um, and I, I'm quite sort of surprised by that. And I think it does have these echoes of the Spirit of God, which, as we know, eventually, as the story unfolds, is not just something owned by the Lord, but it's given to us. Mm. Um, and so we will actually lead in this spirit of righteousness rather than this spirit of selfishness and gain for myself. I think there's an extraordinary um, vision here. And, of course, the result is we won't hurt and destroy anymore, um, but the knowledge of the Lord will cover um, the, the earth as the waters cover the sea. Um, this is such a hopeful sort of vision and the kind of thing that we really could, I think, as followers of Jesus, embrace um, and, and be really proud of. I think this is an extraordinary vision, actually. You know, I'm told that Japanese tourists, as they go around the world, very rarely take photos of nature without something that humanity has built 
being in those photos. And um, I, I remember hearing that story and it being sort of expounded as, you know, I, I can't believe they sort of need something in God's creation that's that's from us. But there was something as I heard that story that's, that made me think, actually, what if we're part of it? What, what if we're what if we're genuinely a part of it, and and even creation is incomplete without us? Mm. Um, I think think there's something extraordinary here. But of course, um, you know, we need to be filled with this very wisdom of God if we're to live that out um, well. But again, this is a fantastic big vision kind of passage that can that we can really hold on to in all the changes and uncertainties and questions of our time. I think this is the kind of vision that can actually lead us through. And I think, again, coming back to the point, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. Like you said, it's a surprise that the leadership um, of putting things back together, is the, the creation is going to be led by yeah. humanity, by a little child, Um and I think, you know, it's probably worth contemplating on that little child motif again. Um, you know, what does it mean to be a child? You know, Jesus saying things like, you know, don't don't forget mm. the children to come to mm. me. Like Here that. again, we're being told to consider what a child's leading will look like, which is interesting because we've got this whole shift, you know, wolves living with lambs, leopards hanging out with kid goats and calves um, and lions and fatlings being together. And then you've got a, the leadership not coming from an adult, but from a child. Mm. Um, and, mm. and I think, again, you know, again, go back to the motif of Advent. Yeah, it's not happening, perhaps, and it's not happening overnight, but we're in this season of, of space. We're in yes. this liminal. Yes. Is, how do we begin mm. to move towards this? What is the wisdom here? That yeah. we need to to embrace. Um, are we listening? You know, this this Advent is yeah. this season of yeah. waiting. Perhaps it's a season of yeah. listening, and um, not talking, but listening and getting face slapped a little bit, <laughs> really thinking about: Am I leading this interesting transformation and creation? Am I leading like a little child? Mm. Am I eating like a political? adult who's got agendas and all sorts of stuff um yeah. worth thinking about interestingly too the psalm moves into a similar kind of motif <laughs> with that whole idea of of justice in leadership um yeah. in fact yeah, psalm 72 so. as i understand it is literally a prayer for leadership and it's interesting because at the moment yeah. um Politically, especially in the United States, you have this very strong movement as we speak, which is pushing uh, for this whole idea of, you know, this Christian um, nation thing, um, uh, which, you know, let's pray for a Christian nation. No, what we need to pray is that our leaders lead us well. Notice I said our leaders lead us well, not that our leaders are Christian. Well, that our leaders lead us Christianly, no. We want our leaders to lead us well. And what does that look like? Well, this is a prayer um, of that. And you'll notice that the focus is on justice. There's that righteousness yes. theme that comes back righteousness. again. Um, Straight out old, of the Isaiah reading. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah. there's an old quote, um, Jim Wallace, who was the Sojourners uh, founder um, and very mm. much speaks on on justice. I Jim love Wallace. Wallace's yeah. stuff. That's W-A-L-L-I-S. Mm. For those who are Australian, there's another Jim Wallace whose probably take yes. would be very different. Um, <laughs> but this Jim Wallace um, wrote once that um, the Bible insists that the best test of a nation's righteousness is how it treats the poorest and most vulnerable in its midst. And this is literally what this prayer is for. Um, this leader, who, by the way, is the, this king, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. The king that's being referred to here is the same person. Um, it's not two different kings. Um, that he's judging with righteousness, the poor with justice, there's prosperity for all people, the cause of the poor, read it through. The theme pretty much is that um, everybody is treated fairly. Everybody is, um, uh, you know, there's this authority um, being exercised on behalf of the poor and the needy, the oppressed, um, that the, the leaders who are being prayed for in a prayer like this are literally going to be people who will look at the thing that they are leading, whether it be something small or something large, and say, is everybody in a sense of justice? And justice, of course, being about bringing things to as even a keel as is possible. Um, mm -hmm. And so the success of a king and the durability of the king's reign is going to depend entirely on his ability to work with those who are poor and needy. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're offended by yeah. that, well... Psalm 72 pretty much is the biblical witness to what that's about. Yeah, yeah. It's um and that's and an interesting say, thought that that's an interesting thought that um some would be offended by this. Because of course if if a judge is if a judge makes a decision, there will usually be someone it doesn't suit, at least initially. Um I would suggest that this psalm actually says, no, this suits everyone. Ultimately, it's ultimately a blessing for everyone, um, for us, for, for righteousness slash justice to reign. Um, but there's an initial point at which I think judgment looks, judgment does um, judge for and against. Um, and that is, uh, you know, if, if this vision is, if this vision is sort of uncomfortable, um, maybe that says something about where you would fit in this, um, where, you, where your actions put you. Yeah. Um, and that, um, that, that's an insight worth grabbing hold of rather than fleeing from. Um, because if you can see that actually I, I, I'm not comfortable with the poor being raised up, then maybe that says something about where you actually sit on the scale of things and where your benefit is coming from. And I think that's important, that the judgment against isn't about pushing anybody further down or below anybody else. It's yeah. about bringing about that balance. Um, yes. So if, if, if the judgment, if I read this and I'm uncomfortable with it, maybe that's because I'm not prepared to let go yeah. of some of the things I have in order for someone else to have some of the things that yeah. they don't have. Um, if the spirit of God is in all of us, 
um, and can be seen in all of us, then we are nothing but better off if we are on an equal level playing field. Absolutely. We, we are only, only richer. Um, but, of course, if we find ourselves up here and sort of, you, you know, enjoying benefits, even if that's not conscious all the time, um, maybe there is something of a threat of, of others being elevated. Yeah. Um, there is a, there is a challenge to that, I think, in our society. If, if all of us were to to you know be elevated to billionaires, um, there's not enough to go around. Um, so I think that I think there is sacrifice required on the part of some um, in order that justice can come to all. When ten people in the world control fifty percent of the world's wealth, yeah, I think there's yeah. enough to go around. Yes. There is um, enough to go around, but but some will have to have less still. When 10 people in the world control <laughs> 50% of the world's wealth, I think that they can let go of a little bit. I think yeah. we all can. And I think that's where we make mistakes. We get all hung up on, well, why should I let yes. go? Well, no, it's not about you letting go. It's about all of us doing our part, yeah. about bringing that that justice, yeah. that equality, that righteousness. That's what the word righteousness means. You want to be righteous? That's literally what it means. The word yeah. from in the Greek particularly yes. talks about justice, bringing yeah. that balance back. And We mate, have a I terrible know... tendency to hear righteousness as an individual thing. Yeah. Um, and, and this is where I think that justice parallel to this is, you know, kind of um, weighs against that a little bit. Justice, we hear, as much more a social thing. Uh, it's much more about community. Um, so I think justice is a better translation, actually. But, but the danger is that if I say social justice, then it's all about, you know, everyone else. It's not about my heart and my inner working. I think this is this is where holding justice righteousness together is so vital because um, actually we're not going to fix fix the world if we don't fix ourselves and if we just fix ourselves we're not going to fix the world but if we hold these two together which this Hebrew word does um, I think we find ourselves in a really good space to bring about change and it ain't woke folks it's just biblical. <laughs> Oh man, I've just got myself in trouble with a whole bunch of Theo uh, and evangelical Twitter pastors um, who aren't listening to this show anyway. So it's no biggie. I, I somehow doubt it. <laughs> if they are, we uh, might get some publicity out of it. So who knows? Yeah, who knows? Um, Romans 15, mm. <laughs> as we move through uh, into the uh, Christian scriptures for this week, the, the Romans reading. Um, it carries the same theme, as interestingly enough does yeah. um, the gospel as well. And, and this is where I was really interested that, um, and it's not unusual that the four readings would have something to say to each other, but to see them, at mm. least in my eyes, they were literally about the same thing, that this leadership is going to be yeah. just and, and, and just. Um, uh, but this, the one that really got me... Um, in this passage about Romans, in, in talking about who this Christ was, was uh, in verse 8, or, or verse 7 rather, 
where Paul writes, welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you. Um, that word welcome uh, comes from a Greek verb, proslambano, uh, which I'll probably pronounce wrong, um, which literally means um, I, I take to myself or I take aside or I take in addition. And so... Um, there are other translations in, in the NRSV that we're reading it from. It's welcome. Uh, in the NIV, it's accept. In the uh, New King James, it's receive. Um, so receive one another or accept one another, welcome one another. We could literally say take one another in addition to what you already are dealing with or take to yourself each other. And this lends a whole new um, understanding, I suppose, to what uh, is going on here. This is um, a, a passage where um, Paul is saying, do this um, just as Christ has done it for you. And I love the way that last, the last four words of that verse, um, and Christ has done it for the glory of God. Mm. Um, we have literally been taken in addition, um, taken into Christ's self, for the glory of God. Um, and if you were struggling before with what we were saying about participation with God in making all things new, if you were struggling before when we were saying about God not needing sacrifice and you having this need and feel that you have to, this one's going to struggle with you as well, um, or you will struggle with it as well. That this idea of uh, this welcoming um where literally in the next verse, Paul declares uh, that Jesus, who is a Jew, um, became a servant of the circumcised, of the Jewish people, um, to show that God has been faithful to fulfill the promises um, made um, to the patriarchs of Israel. And and so to, to then go on and say that um as he looks at these passages from the Hebrew scriptures, he looks at them through a Christological lens, which isn't the only way of looking at them, but that's the way Paul's using them to reflect on there at the moment. So don't, you know, either way you look at that, I think it's important to understand that Paul can do this, um, but it doesn't mean it's the only way to look at it. But this is what Paul's doing here. And he's drawing um, on that understanding to um, see Christ for who Christ is. Um, and, I, and I think that's really important that this Christ um, is literally about um, supporting one another. It's literally about becoming a servant to others. We see Paul write about this elsewhere where he talks about um, if, if some of you are stumbling, then go as fast as the stumbling person. You know, don't rush ahead. Be there for each other. Support one another. Um, support the weak. Comfort the afflicted. This sort of verbiage is all through um, the writings of Paul. And this is the type of welcome that I suspect Paul is asking us to have here. Um, differing backgrounds, differing convictions. Christ's own welcome is the standard um, that we are to welcome one another. It's a high bar. It's a really high mm. bar because Christ literally welcomes all. 
Um, mm. This is not just about saying hey to someone as you're walking down the street or smiling at the person when you walk into church. This is literally about accepting all people. And if we're going to do it as Christ, Christ did it all the way um, to death. Mm. Uh, so it's considering how those things hold together and and really um you know embracing that spirit of Christ um which is about building one another up and embracing all and encouraging each other to be the people of God mm-hmm. again there's that there's that justice it's come back again um yeah it's going to be hard to shake i think <laughs> Yeah, Maybe that's I love the movement from of this passage, an invitation to scripture where you'll find steadfastness, encouragement, and be filled with hope. Um, and and this steadfastness and encouragement, which is repeated, um, will enable us to live in harmony. And then you've got all that stuff you've just talked about, about mm. welcome. But then coming out of that, you've got this, I don't know. It's it's like a collection of proof texts that Paul's yeah. put together about Gentiles, how the nations have a place among us. Um, it's just fantastic that this hope is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, mm. So this guy who's saying, you know, go to Scripture and allow it to um, have its way of giving you steadfastness and encouragement in order to live in harmony and then it's just getting bigger and bigger. And Paul is actually going to Scripture and saying, this is the big vision. All the nations are coming together. So you need to live this way. You need to live in this sense of radical love and welcome um, and grace. Um, and all of this, of course, cuts, goes straight back to this root of Jesse, in yes. which we've read in the Isaiah, these Isaiah reading. Um, this this hope. I, I think at this point it really does become Christ. Oh, um, it? Yeah. Or, or certainly, certainly, this is what Paul Paul feels um, by now. Mm. Um, and then there's this prayer of blessing. I think this ends up in a prayer of blessing. May the yeah. God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of hope this here. hope, this uh, he's just described this hope in, in quite a bit of detail. This hope will lead you to loving everyone. Mm. And, and, and so by the end of it, um, Paul is just saying, um, I pray that you will have this hope. He's not, he's not resorting wonderfully. He's not resorting to giving you a bunch of rules about how Jews and Gentiles should relate to one another or how, Christians and the nations should relate to one another. He's not actually doing that. He's saying, saturate yourself in the scripture that will lead you in this direction and you will be abundantly, abundantly blessed. Yeah. And there you will have peace and joy in believing. Um, I, I think this is a fantastic little passage for Paul to be um to be articulating the hope that's found in relationship firstly with God, but then also with one another. Um, there's something absolutely fantastic here that we, you know, our, our divisive way of understanding religion 
I think, leaves us in poverty next to a vision like this one that Paul was putting forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. The hope is getting bigger. Mm. I'm quoting you on that. <laughs> I, I think it it's just building and building and building. I really yeah, it do. Is. It's there's, there's something here. There's something here. Yeah. yeah. That, there your book ends on this passage, I would suggest, is hope. Hope. Um, so Which you've is got what hope we've been there, talking about all day anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a great <laughs> Advent theme. It is, because what are we going to do when we wait? And we talked about that last week, that hope mm. is that thing between um, uh, what we do and who God is. Mm. Uh, so God has done this, and this is what we do. What's in between? Well, it's the hope. Hope gives the imagination. Hope gives the drive. Hope gives the vision. If we can sit with that hope for a while, who knows what might be able to be formed yeah. in us yeah. that can come out of us. Yes. Um, yeah. The gospel reading for this week is Matthew 3, which, I mean, I think I prefer Luke's version, but Matthew's version, Matthew uh, this year, um, chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, I think this mm. is a, a, an excellent passage. There's a number of things that jumped out for me. First of all is the word repent. Um, which in Hebrew, shuv means to return, nikam means to feel sorry, and metanoia in the Greek which means to think differently afterwards. And so mm. you've got this idea, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. So as the kingdom of heaven is coming, there's that period of waiting again. Yes. Um, what good should I be returning to? Um and if you read Luke's passage, um, John talks a lot about this. He, there's this question and answer part in Luke's version of this particular um, introduction to John and John's ministry where the people say, well, what should we do? Mm. And he tells them what they should do. Um, so what good things should you be returning to? What deeds that I have done do I need to feel sorry for so that I can correct um, and seek restitution for? Um, that I can fix these things that I've done, that I can meet with people and ask for forgiveness and you know, pay restitution in some way if I need to. And then finally, um, what do I need to be thinking about differently afterwards in the light of who this God is and who this Christ is and what this revelation about who God is through this Christ says, how do I need to think about it differently? But the thing that got me this reading through and like like you man i mean how many times have you read this passage no you're like how many times have i preached at christmas um and in advent um and how many times have you read it apart from that but the thing that really got me was the description of john um a couple of things here first of all um there's this really strong linking of um uh the the, the Old Testament prophets to John in a number of ways through the description of, um, you know, the, the, the passage in Isaiah, through the description of John himself, who he's described very much like I think it might have been Ezekiel who might have worn camel's hair um, or something like that. Elijah, um, yeah. Yeah, Elijah, sorry, that's who I was thinking yeah. of, Elijah, yeah. um, and so on. Um, but there's a couple of things here that's really, really interesting. You know, John wore camel's hair, leather belt around his waist. There was food, was locusts, wild honey. He came out of the wilderness. 
And, you know, this was a time and still is true where all the things came out of cities. You went to the city for the big thing. You went to the city where that's where the ideas were formed. That's where the businesses were created. That's where the opportunity was. Go to the city and you'll find what it is that you're looking for. And there's still that mentality today about traveling mm. to the big cities. If you want to make it, if you want to be this, if you want to create whatever. But this John the Baptist comes along out of the wilderness, dressed like this wild prophet, and uh, he's talking pretty frank, you brood of vipers, right? But this is called people went out of the wilderness for the answers. That's that's not what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to go to mm. the city. People were leaving the city. Yeah. and heading to the wilderness. Now, what happens in the wilderness? The wilderness is a place of danger. It's a place of testing. Um, it's the place where Israel was formed, walking through the wilderness for 40 years. Um, there's, um, where, And that's where they experienced who this God was in terms of being looked after, cared for, um, you know, being fed and led and protected and so on. Um, you know, this ministry of wilderness, and you would know this because you know you're writing about Mark, very strong about in the gospel, wild places. Yeah. yeah, there's a call to people to remember who they were before these kings started building the big cities and the big temples, and even before there were kings at all. It's really a call back mm -hmm. to something more simple. Maybe this is why. And again, you would know this because you're very similar to me. This drawing that some of us have to take a tarp and a ground sheet. And go and camp yeah. in the middle of nowhere and light a fire and just sit there and enjoy <laughs> nature and commune with, with nature. Yeah. There's this sense of something in these places that speaks to us so strongly. And John's ministry really calls back to that more simpler. This, this is a ministry of remembering, I put in my notes here, um, mm. calling the people to remember not just who they are, but also remember that they don't need to be something they're not. And also remembering that this God is always who this God has been and that um, there's a place for them to search for and, under and understand as this God draws them away from the city and the politics and the religion and the temple and says, come and be and sit and learn and commune. You know, Jesus um, always taking off into the wilderness, most famously for 40 days uh, mm. where he fasted just before mm. his ministry started. There's another one. Um, so mm. th there's a, there's some really powerful stuff in here. Again, the Advent theme of what's happening in this space. And in this space out of this reading, we see this drawing back to what is the core. Um, there's nothing wrong with the temples. There's nothing wrong if you have this particular practice um, or ritual that you partake in that allows you to engage with God, um, that helps you bring yourself to a place where you can commune with the divine and, and sense yourself being at one there. There is no problem with those things. But it's, I guess, a reminder that the trappings, we don't let those things become trappings, that there is a rawness to this God that's as raw as the wilderness, that's as raw as wearing camel hair and eating honey and locusts. And uh, we have to mm. wonder whether there's something in that raw understanding of who God is that could be speaking very strongly to us 
it's almost like, you know, when you do the spring clean, once a year you just go through your house and you clean things up and you throw away the junk and you go through all the things and take stuff to up shops and sell them on eBay and put them in the bin or give them to somebody. Um, this is almost like a spiritual spring clean mm. where let's leave all the trappings and go out into the wilderness for this season of Advent and let's commune with this God face-to-face and see what comes. I think that's probably, for this particular reflection and reading this time through, that's what I really carried Mm. with me out of of the gospel this week. Yeah, like that. This this phrase, repent for the kingdom of God has come near, because um, at least three times in Matthew, um, here it is. Here it is for John. Um, Jesus will open his ministry by saying exactly the same thing, and then um, he will hand it on to his twelve as he anoints them and sends them out. And he will say, "I want you to take this message now." Um, mm-hmm. I love what you've said there about repentance, um, metanoia, especially, um, which is the Greek here, um, being about changing your mind and i think john in this passage brings about what is a preparatory change of mind for the coming of jesus for the coming of the kingdom um so prepare is repeated here a couple of times and it seems to be very clear that john is preparing the way for another and he's doing it by asking people to repent of the things they've done wrong to turn away from the things they've done wrong. And that's very clear in John's in in, in John's ministry here. Um, intre- I, I love the way you've described um, the movement from the city of Jerusalem, which is literally built around the temple. Um, that's where all the action is in this sacrifice and offering type approach to religion. Um, and, and people are moving away from there into this space of where there is nothing. And there, they're, they're initially there turning away from the things they've done wrong and they're being baptised, they're being immersed in this reality. And interestingly enough, even the Pharisees and Sadducees are coming out of Jerusalem. Um, so there's this... and and, and John's wrath, if you like, is reserved for these religious people who have benefited from everything that's going on in Jerusalem. Um, all this this preparatory element, I think, is really important because when when Jesus says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near," he doesn't go on and correct everyone. He doesn't call for a baptism so much around the turning away from sin as he begins a healing ministry. Um, He begins to live out the kingdom of heaven in front of them. So I think there's a valid way of saying, okay, John's use of repentance is actually, I want you to, Um, I want you to turn away from your sins. And it prepares for Jesus' way of using this same term, which is actually change your mind, reimagine the world. 
Um, reimagine the world in terms of a God who is humble, um, who is incarnate, who is here to serve and ultimately here to die and rise again um, to show us all how to reimagine the world with the kingdom of God here. Um, I love that movement because I think metanoia is so much more than turn away from your sins, yet John uses it here very much in that way, and we get stuck in using that term in, in only that narrow way, and I think that's tremendously sad. The other thing I thought of here um, um, is, is this invitation. It's always puzzled me, and it probably still does. Uh, when John is pointing to Jesus who is coming after him, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He's, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire. For the first time I read that and thought, hang on, maybe this isn't some people are in and some people are out. Absolutely not. Maybe this is precisely <laughs> what the Spirit of God does in us. That's it. The Spirit of God comes <clears throat> in us and, and you know, burns away those things that are destructive um, and gathers those things that are constructive. This is a reality, I would suggest, that the Holy Spirit in us brings about in everyone. So this is not a dividing of, you know, the good from the bad at the end of time or anything like that. It's actually something that goes on within us. Um, and is hopefully going on within those people who are, who have now been challenged to look for the one who's coming after John. Um, famously said, the line between good and evil runs through the human heart um, rather than, you know, dividing the good people from the bad people. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, there's something um, slightly fantastic here. Um, I mean, you, you read this passage. This, there is this echo. There's this strong echo. Sorry, I'll just get this in. There's this yeah. really strong echo of of expectation and something more coming. Um, this insistence that look, I'm just baptizing with water, but here comes one who's going to baptize you in the very spirit of God. The the contrast is so strong. That element of preparing for something so much more significant um, is actually really strong here as well very much all those echoes of hope, all those echoes of waiting, all those Advent values um, sit in this beautiful gospel opening. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's powerful. And, and, and you know, going back to that baptise I was talking about from last week, um, you know, being mm, immersed yes. in that spirit and that fire. And I think what you brought up was very important. I, I just want to go back to that for a second because there will be some people that will be scratching their heads, and I think there's a really simple way to illustrate it that's right here in this passage in that verse 12. The winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, when you are making, when you're making wheat, you don't make wheat. <laughs> when you're growing wheat, right? wheat. You, you have to separate the grain from the rest of it, right? So when mm. you grow it, you have the whole stalk come up. And then, I mean, out near out where I live now, um, they're right in the midst of harvest. And you drive past and they've got the big combine harvesters there and the big choppy wheelie things at the front and all the 
wheat is going, you know, into the thing and all the grains going obviously into the thing, technical terms. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a farmer. I'm going to have to learn. We, right? we can see you know so much about this, Mark. Farming. <laughs> I need my John Deere hat. Um, but but the, you, you've got that. And look, this is the thing. We, when, when we're baptised in this fire, there is stuff about us that's great and stuff about us that's not great. That's the chaff. And the chaff will be burnt up, but the grain will remain. There's another mm. place where Paul talks about gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble will be put into the fire and what's great will remain, but what's not will be burned up. And here's the thing. Again, it's not that some of us are gold, some of us are silver, some of us are precious stones, but some yes. of us are wood, hay, and stubble. It's that we have this collection of things, and when we go through this fire, the stuff that really doesn't matter, the stuff that's not valuable, the stuff that is irrelevant will be burnt up. But the things that are important and valuable and eternal will remain. And I guess the, the sly bit is, is that the things that are going to remain are probably not the things we think are important right now mm. or the things that we put uh, weight on. And so I, I concur absolutely. This is not about um, some of you are going to be wheat, but some of you are going to be chaff. This is allow God's spirit to allow yourself to be immersed in this spirit, this fire, and allow the chaff to be burned up so the wheat can remain and feed the world. That's what do we use wheat for, right? I like that. We make bread. Yeah, that's good. There's bread that's again. Good. And I only, I mean, this is pretty, yeah. this is a verse I look at in my uh, bread and Bible um, workshop mm. where we look at the analogy of the mm. spiritual life with bread. We literally talk about this. And how the reason why this wheat versus chaff thing is very, very much in the biblical psyche uh, when we read through scripture, that we talk about the, the wheat and the chaff, because the wheat is the bit that needs to remain because it's what the wheat, the wheat is used to make the bread that feeds people. Um, the wheat can be really, you know, grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it becomes many grains. Uh, and with mm. many grains, you can make a big yep. loaf of bread, and that lots of little grains come together and make one big loaf of bread feeds many people. So this is mm. this is the imagery here, and I and this was to be honest one of the first verses I read fifteen odd year ago that started my deconstruction, and I mean that in a positive sense. That started to get me away from this whole idea of good and bad, in and out, um, mm. saved, unsaved. Are you in the camp or out of the camp? This was one of the things that got me away from this idea of this this hellfire that a loving God doesn't make any sense. Um, mm. Oh, but he's a just God. Yeah, he's a just God because that fire is going to take away the bad stuff for everybody and leave the good stuff for everybody. Mm. Um, and that's what we need to allow God to do. And, you know, again, you know, as you were reflecting there, I'm sitting there going, what do we do? While we're while we're waiting, well, we make those adjustments you were talking about. We make those yeah, contemplations yeah. that you were talking about. Those preparations, that call for mm. conviction, um, to to prepare for what Jesus would then come and say. Now act it out. Pre get yourself mm. ready. Get get the chaff burnt up, 
so that literally Jesus can come and say, here's how it's done. Now you go do it too. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's that's what we do in this Advent waiting. There are a couple of metaphors used here before we get to that very end one that we've just discussed. Um, uh, the, the, um, the, the call to bear fruit um, yeah. is really significant here. Um, the, the call for us to be, um, be growing, uh, doing the things we were created to do. A, a, yeah. a tree is created to bear fruit. Um, and here we are called to bear fruit worthy of repentance. Um, so there's that fruit image. And then, the, of course, that develops into the tree image. Um, and and this is this is where I, I think we end up saying to ourselves, you know, the tree is me. Um, I think the tree here, um, if we're to take um, a lot of the Jewish images of, uh, you know, um, Israel as uh, um, as as the vine, um, Israel as um, the olive tree. Um, I think, I think, so here we have people coming from Jerusalem, um, from these centres of religious power, and the tree image here has an axe sitting at the root. Um, and so often we, we read this as though, you know, I'm the tree. God, God's about to cut me out. Um, but what if, the, what if this becomes a constant metaphor throughout um the Gospel of Matthew, that actually pinnacles in this prediction that the place of sacrifice and offering will no longer be, and that's okay, because the kingdom of God has been found in all the wrong places, mm. has already been discovered. This place of reimagining has been re has been discovered outside the religious restrictive walls of the world. I think, um, you know, there, there's going to be, I, I think there's a possibility that um, we have this conversation around the wheat and the chaff and we're saying actually this is about, you know, all of what happens to all of us. Um, and, and some are going to say, hang on, but you skip the trees and the fruit and the axe at the root bit. You know, this, this is, but I, I think I think there's a way of reading this that actually says, no, this tree that's being, this fruitless tree being cut out, it's probably the love of religion over the love of the kingdom. Well, go back a verse and you actually see that alluded to. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up yes. children to Abraham. And even now the yeah. axe is lying at the root of the trees. So that, so this is the Abrahamic, it's the, it, it's, well, it might not just be it's any it's religion. Trees plural, I think. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. It's trees plural, yeah. but obviously he's trying Although to draw their context, attention. In this context, it's clearly what's descended from Abraham. I agree with that. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, a, yeah. yeah. No, no, yeah. I was going to say it's trees plural, but he's he's obviously got yes. these people thinking about it by saying, "Don't back up and say, but we've got our religious system," um, because it's not yeah. about the system. Um, and there's an axe that's laying at the root of the trees, ready yes, to plural. cut down any that yep. doesn't bear good fruit. Um, 
so it's again as you as you I think you were alluding to. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not about us being the mm. trees. It's about systems, and it's about yes. not relying yes. on the system because if the system doesn't bear good fruit, it's not going to help you because there'll be no fruit coming yeah. from it. You won't be able to eat from it. it. Yeah. You won't find sustenance from it. But ones that you yeah. do find sustenance from, ones that do grow good fruit that are filling you and feeding you, that's mm. different. Mm. Boom! Oh, you got me this, chewing um, on that one uh, now, this man. Is, this is the other the other thing that makes this really important is that it's directed directly at the Pharisees and Sadducees. Mm. So it's it's as they come to repentance. So there's a whole lot of people who come for repentance, um, and John just seems to baptize them. Um, but then it's when the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of Jerusalem, come that this um, conversation around Abraham, depending on your religious stature um, and, and all of this language of trees comes out, That's it, it, there's a specific context here in which these statements are being made. It's not just general for everyone. It's actually yeah. being made in the context of religious leaders coming and saying, um, actually, I, I can rely on my system, but, you know, it's kind of interesting to be here and I might even be baptised while I'm here. Um, but actually, this is this is a it's a precursor to everything that's coming when Jesus walks into Jerusalem and really presents a vision where the destruction of the temple is not a problem. <laughs> Partly because the world has been reimagined outside it by the coming of the kingdom in the person of Jesus. By the time Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the sacrificial system. Is being is literally being done away with, and it's all okay because God, the gracious God, has been discovered beyond it. There you are, friends. Second Sunday <laughs> of Advent, Isaiah eleven verses one to ten, Psalm seventy-two verses one to seven and eighteen and nineteen, Romans fifteen verses four to thirteen, and Matthew three verses one to twelve. Please, all, all the verses are down or passages are down there as well. There's a whole bunch of links to other places, things like Mark's uh, barefootfollower.life website where you'll find uh, reflections on, on some of these readings uh, that go up. Uh, if you head over to um, Instagram and put in at monkindocs, you'll find me there um, talking about these and other things. Um, you, the, our email address is down there. Send us a message. Tell us what you're thinking. Tell us what you're learning, what you've heard, what you've seen, what you've how you've reflected on these. We want to have a conversation. We, we would love to hear what you have to say about some of these things too because so we can grow and learn and think about them differently as well. Certainly not a one-way uh, conversation. And thank you to those people who have interacted. Uh, if you're on YouTube, hey, drop a, a comment down the bottom. Um, there's also now, if you're listening to us on Spotify, um, I think there's a, a link there. Or if you're listening to us on Anchor, there's a link there, I think, where you can respond to a question which asks you what you think about these passages. Jump in there, put it there, and we'll find the response when we check that this week. So lots of ways you can interact with us. Please do. And uh, there, don't forget, every week, midweek, we're here chewing on or reflecting on how we've chewed on the passages from the week before and thinking about the verses to come on Between Two Sundays, just like we have today and we're done
Very good. Great to see you, Mark. <laughs> you too, mate. Bless you, folks. Uh, enjoy the second Sunday of Advent, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week as we continue through this brand new year A in the lectionary. Until then, grace, peace, and love be with you. Bye for now. See you.